With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm up from the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a wonderful podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by William Bohr. As you guys know, we've got some September call-ups that they might be making a little bit of an impact in October. If they don't wind up making a little bit of an impact in October, well, gosh darn it, they're going to be making an impact on some of your bets coming up within the next few weeks. We've seen quite a few starting pitchers be able to dazzle recently, so we're going to be talking to William about the younger guys are getting a shot for a lot of these MLB teams, which ones are looking good, which ones might be looking a little bit more shaky, and some of the guys that might be able to make an impact in October as well. So, going to have that chat in the second segment with him. He does a great job over there with MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys side total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday and a little something like call, touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways we all fire those in as well. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Well, they mean does not matter. Size per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via a five-star review in that comments box. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Monday as it was a laborious Labor Day for many of these teams. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It was Labor Day on Monday and a team that, well, they certainly labored. 
That would be the Boston Red Sox. They were up at one point on the Tampa Bay Rays by kind of 7-1, and, well, they blew it. 11-10, the Tampa Bay Rays with a massive comeback to be able to get the W for the race. They were led by a pair of home runs by a pair of mashers. Nelson Cruz, his 28th home run season. Austin Meadows gets his 24th. Those come off of Adam Adovino along with Garrett Woodlock for Woodlock. He's been pretty sure-handed all year long, but winds up giving up three runs, two of which were earned in one and a third inning. So you wind up having Steven Gonsalves wind up giving a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Austin Davis was able to give you a pair of outs as well, but Adam Adovino just wound up giving up the solo shot. One run give it up at two-thirds of an inning, but this was not what the team was looking for to Chris Sale either. Only one of the runs they wound up giving up was earned as Taylor Motter, who you may recall was in the KBO and was cut after about like 20 games because he just flat out stunk in the KBO, wound up committing a pair of errors in this game. Hunter Renfro had an error. Alex Verdugo had an error. So four in total for the Boston Red Sox. Wound up really hurting him, but Sale also wound up giving up 10 hits in three and two-thirds innings, five runs, one of which was earned. And then Garrett Richards comes in for long relief, two and a third innings. He gives up a run. Josh Taylor, he gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning. And keep in mind, Boston is dealing with some guys currently on the COVID list as well, but they were able to get a lot of offense going. 6 of 15 with men in scoring position. Jonathan Arus was able to get a third home run season. They came off of J.P. Fireeyes and as a race. Didn't get the start that they were looking for either. Fire Eisen has to come in for an inning. He gives up a run. You wound up having JT Chargois give up a run in his inning as well. But you wound up having the bullpen by and large do pretty well after Ryan Yarbrough gave up seven runs in two innings. Yeah, that's not what he was looking for, by the way. The Rays did not wind up using an opener for Yarbrough. Yarbrough, whenever he comes in out of the bullpen, has a 25-5 and career record with an ERA more than a point lower than as a starter. So keep that in mind whenever you bet on him. But Adam Conley comes in for a score. Scoreless inning, Sean Armstrong, two scoreless innings. You wind up having a scoreless inning out of David Robertson. And then Colin McHugh pitches the final two innings, giving up one unearned run in extras. This is wound up going to 10 innings. So the Rays wind up being able to get the job now. Speaking of teams being able to score north of a touchdown and a field goal, that'd be the Philadelphia Phillies. They completely manhandled the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 12 to 0 as it was home run derby in this one. Andrew McCutcheon, 24th home run season. Bryce Harper, 28th home run season. Freddie Galvis, his 12th home run season. Gene Segura's 11th home run season. Brad Miller, his 16th and 17th home runs of the season. And the Bat Boy, his first home run of the season, as Brandon Woodruff gives up four runs over the course of six innings, including three of those home runs. Brad Boxberger really had to take it to him. He gives up five runs, including a home run, and he got as many outs as me. If you were hoping to see Luke Maley pitch for this team, the backup catcher, he wound up pitching an inning for the Brewers, giving up a run. Daniel Norris gives up two runs, one of which was earned in his inning. Brent Suter gave a scoreless inning, though, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, absolutely nothing doing in this one as the Phillies got a very good start for Mr. Zach Wheeler, who had given up four-plus runs in three out of his last four starts. Six scoreless innings from him, punched out nine. Hector Neris a scoreless inning. Matt, give me some more, two scoreless innings. So a critical win for a Philadelphia Phillies team that is looking to claw their way back when it comes to the wild card standings and also the divisional standings. They are now two games out of the wild card, and when it comes to the division, one and a half games back as they are now 32 and 38 on the road. So they're looking to pick up a couple more wins there. And for the New York Mets, they were looking to be able to keep pace, and they were unable to. 4-3, to three, they wind up taking a loss to the Washington Nationals as Trevor Williams gave up 10 hits and 5 innings, but only 2 runs, so he was evading a lot of danger from their Jurisdiction Familia. Brad Hand, Seth Lugo, I'll give you a scoreless inning, but Edwin Diaz, he winds up giving up 2 runs and a third of an inning that wound up costing the New York Mets. For the Mets, not a lot of offense in this one. One of them with runners in scoring position, they have just been 
deathly bad whenever men have gotten on base, but Pete Alonso was able to deliver his 30th home run season. That comes off of Patrick Corbin, who actually gave a halfway decent start. Now, he himself gave up 11 hits and 7 innings, giving up that home run, 3 runs in total, but Kyle Finnegan was able to get a 2-inning win for this team and for the Nationals. They themselves didn't do great with men in scoring position, 3 of 16 with that regard, but they still got the job done. The New York Yankees got shut out, and this is a team that all of a sudden, they have lost, I believe, now 6 out of their last 8 games. 8-0, the Blue Jays are able to get the W on Jin Ryu, one of his best starts of the year. Six scoreless innings, Trevor Richards, Tim Maza, Adam Simber, I'll give you scoreless innings from there. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, how about Marcus Simeon and Vlad Guerrero Jr. trying to give Chase's Shoy Otani and Salvador Perez when it comes to home run chase. For Simeon, two home runs in this one. 36th and 37th home runs of the season. Teoscar Hernandez collects his 25th. And then Vlagero Jr. goes deep off of Jamison Tyon, his 40th. Ever since being named Pitcher of the Month for the month of July in the American League, Jamison Tyon starting to get a little bit more tagged. He gives up two of those home runs, three runs in total over the course of seven innings. Lucas Lukey, a squirrel inning, but then Brooks Kriske really lit this game on fire. He gave up five runs in an inning, including two of those home runs, so that was not great. And for the Yankees, they went 0-1 with runners in scoring position. They just did not have any opportunities whatsoever in this one. Not a lot of scoring opportunities, surprisingly, for the Kansas City Royals, but they still did enough to get the job done against the Baltimore Orioles as they win by a count of 3-2. Salvador Perez, by the way, now has 103 RBI. He has been absolutely amazing for this team as... Chris with the K. Bubich delivered a good start as well. Five and a third innings. He does wind up giving up two runs, including Homer going deep. Cedric Mullins, 26th Homer on season. This Orioles team is bad. Mullins is pretty good. And for Zach Lawther, actually a very good start from him. Entered into this game with a season-long ERA of a 1080. He winds up delivering a six-inning start, giving up one run. That one run was a solo run. It's going deep. Answer Alberto, the former Baltimore with the second home run of the year. From there, Ore Lopez and Connor Green combined for a scoreless inning, but Cole Solzer who's really been the best bullpen piece for the Orioles. Gives up two runs in an inning. He takes the L. Zach Birdie was able to give you a scoreless inning out of the bullpen as well. And for the Royals, their bullpen was good. Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, scoreless eighth and ninth innings, and Domingo Tapia, five outs out of the bullpen. So the Baltimore Orioles, their struggles continue. The struggles of the Detroit Tigers continue as well as they wind up losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 6-3. I took the under with the New York Post play of the day. Unbeknownst to me that Kyle Funkhauser, after delivering a scoreless inning in the sixth, will be left out there in the seventh inning with the bases loaded to give up four runs in the inning. He gives up four earned runs while recording five outs. Tarek Skubal, you can tell, is on a pitch count. He winds up giving up two runs, including a homer over the course of three innings. Going deep for the Pittsburgh Pirates was Kevin Newman, fifth homer on the season. I'm not talking as if I'm bitter over here at all. I say that somewhat jokingly and somewhat not, but Derek Collin was able to deliver four outs out of the bullpen and Drew Carlton. Actually, two scoreless innings for the Detroit Tigers. And for the Tigers, not a lot doing on offense in this one, as it was actually a pretty good start out of Bryce Wilson. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings. He's got an ERA that hovers right around about a 4-5-ish with the Pittsburgh Pirates, so he's actually been okay for them. And then the Pirates bullpen, scoreless innings out of Chris Strand, Chase and Shreve, David Bernard. So they were able to get the job done as they went 5 of 11 with men in scoring position. It's always tricky when you wind up seeing teams coming off of Sunday Night Baseball and the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers had to play no less afternoon games in time zones that were further east than what they wound up playing on Sunday. And both wound up winning in convincing fashion. For the Giants, they take it to the Colorado Rockies by kind of 10 to 5 as for the Giants, they were able to jump all over a guy in Kyle Freeland that has been pretty amazing for the Rockies. 
He had entered into this one, giving up three runs or fewer in 11 out of his last 12 starts. Got shelled. Giving up four home runs, seven runs in total over the course of four and a third innings. Ben Bowden would come in, give up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Yancey Almonte gives up two runs in two innings. Lucas Gilbreth, along with Robert Stevenson, were able to calm things down with scoreless innings, but going deep for the San Francisco Giants out for Freeland. Buster Posey, 17th home run season. Darren Ruff, 15th home run season. And then Thario Estrada, his fifth and sixth home runs of the season. For Kevin Gosman, gives up three runs over the course of seven innings, including a pair of homers. But when you're in Coors Field, you give up three runs in seven innings. That's not too bad. Going deep off of him. Ryan McMahon, 21st home run season. Garrett Hampson, his ninth. And then Trevor Story would go deep off of Caleb Barger for his 19th home run season. Barger entered into this one with a 0.49 ERA. That is now 1.35 as he allows two runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning, but John Brebo was able to give the team in out of the bullpen, and Dominique Leon still has a buck 55 ERA. He lends a scoreless inning, and for the San Francisco Giants, they remain one game up on the LA Dodgers because their road record, now 43-27. and That is the second best out there in the big leagues. The other team that is a little bit better, the Milwaukee Brewers at 46-24. and So, these two teams have been able to get the job done on the road, and for the Dodgers, they now have a 41-28 and road record, so they have been very sturdy there. 5-1, to one, they take down the St. Louis Cardinals. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. Max Scherzer wound up having a good start. 13 strikeouts, gave up one unearned run over the course of eight innings, so they were really able to get it done here. Joe Kelly, he winds up lending a scoreless inning as well, but for the LA Dodgers, they wound up just jumping all aboard Mr. Miles Michaelis with four runs in the first inning, headlined by a Chris Taylor three-run homer, his 20th home run of the season. For Mr. Michaelis, he winds up giving up all five runs, four of which were earned over the course of five innings. Bullpen from there did their job. Daniel Ponce de Leon and Anna Miller, a scoreless inning, and Cody Whitley, two scoreless innings, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, they have scored the fourth fewest runs in the National League ever since the beginning of the month of June, and just absolutely nothing cooking for them. And by the way, the Dodgers, they have played two out of their last 20 games to the offer. That is absolutely insane. Meanwhile, the Giants, prior to Sunday Day Baseball, they had played three out of their last 16 games to the over. Now they played back-to-back over, so things are normalizing a little bit there, but certainly has been some interesting trends out there in the National League West. This is an interesting trend. The Angels have had the fewest home runs in the American League since the beginning of the month of August as Shohei Otani hitting below the Mendoza line in the team's last 38 games and nothing doing for the Angels in this one. 4-0 the final. The Rangers and the Angels averaging the fewest runs per game since the All-Star break among American League teams and for the Rangers, AJ Alexi looking like a good starter for the team. Gives up one hit in six innings. He has now had two career starts, 11 total innings, and we're going to talk a little bit more about him with William Bohr in the next segment, but has yet to give up a run. He has been very good for the Rangers, a Rangers team that going into the game on Sunday had the worst road record in the big leagues, and now they've won two straight games on the road. Brett Martin, Spencer Penn, Joe Barlow, all able to give you scoreless innings for the Rangers. Nothing doing with regards to homers, but 5 of 10 with runners in scoring position as Aime Barilla gives up three runs over the course of seven innings. Not necessarily a terrible start there, only three punch outs. So Mike Myers was able to give you scoreless innings, and Andrew Watts winds up giving up a run in an inning, but certainly tough sledding right now for the LA Angels and their offense. It was very tough sledding for the Seattle Mariners on Monday as well. They wind up falling to the Houston Astros by a count of 11 to a deuce, says for the Seattle Mariners. They wound up getting a pair of RBI out of Abraham Toro, but he also wound up making a bad error out there in the field, and Kyle Seager did as well. Yusei Kikuchi did not lend the length that they were looking for, and that's putting it politely. Gives up six runs, four of which were earned, and four walks over the course of one and two-thirds innings, including a home run surrender going deep for the Houston Astros. Jake Myers, his fourth home run season, and the Astros, I can't believe I'm saying this, committed 17 of their outs with men in scoring position. 6 of 23 with runners in scoring position. I can't remember the last time we have seen 
a team get 23 plate opportunities with men in scoring position in a nine-inning game. Meanwhile, for Lance McKellis Jr., he winds up giving up two runs over the course of six innings, and he is now 11-4. and four. So this guy has been dealing. Brandon Bielak comes in for three scoreless innings of relief, and for the Seattle Mariners, Justice Sheffield gives up two runs, one of which was earned in one and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen. Man Andrees, two scoreless innings. Sean Doolittle, well, he's doing very little for you. Gives up three runs in one and a third inning, and Josh Smith was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. The Minnesota Twins were able to get some good pitching against the Cleveland Indians, 5-2. They wind taking down the Tribe as Bailey Ober winds up giving up two runs over the course of four innings, so not necessarily the world's greatest start, but at the same time, it certainly could have been worse than them from there. Michael Pineda in super long relief. Three scoreless innings tied Duffy and Alex Colomay both give you a scoreless inning as well, so that was a little bit of a strange one, but what is not strange, seeing Byron Buxton go deep off of Logan Allen his 11th home run season, and seeing Logan Allen give up another home run. That one to Ore Palanco, his 27th home run season, as Allen gives up five runs over the course of five and a third innings. From there, Sam Antiges was able to give you a pair of scoreless innings, and then you were able to get one and two-thirds innings scoreless out of Justin Garza as well, so relievers were able to do their job, but the Indians continue to struggle when it comes to starting pitching. Good news is, Framiel Reyes was able to go deep off of Bailey Ober. That was his 27th home run of the season. For the Cincinnati Reds, they are falling on some tough times right now as they wind up losing to the poopy Chicago Cubs by a count of 4-3 for the Reds, by the way. They are now 2-7 and seven in their last nine games, so it certainly is not going well for the Red Legs, as in this one, it was the Chicago Cubs who wound up getting a pretty good start out of Justin Steele. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of five innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Cody Ayer, along with Adam Morgan, both give you a scoreless inning, and Scott E. Frost was able to come in, give you two scoreless innings, and for the Chicago Cubs, Ian App, who has not been good this year, he's hitting at 214, but he gets his 19th home run season, and for App, ever since the beginning of the month of August, this is a guy that is now hitting about at 275, and he's now gotten eight home runs in that time span, so give him a little bit of credit for continuing to work for this team. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, one of seven with Ben in scoring position, Sonny Gray, not a great start, but certainly not bad. Winds giving up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of five innings, hurt out there by an error. Lucas Sims and Luis Sessa both give you a scoreless setting, but Michael Lorenzen gives up a run that wound up costing the team in the eighth inning, and he winds up taking the L. Speaking of taking the L, that's exactly what we wound up seeing from those that have been taking some big giant favorites recently, as in the last seven days, we've seen a little bit of a reversal. Favorites only 50 and 41, hitting at about a 54.9% clip. When you layer in the juice, hasn't necessarily been going so well for you. Overs and unders over the last seven days, by the way. 46 overs, 46 unders, so very even Steven there. Home teams, 48 and 46, so we haven't necessarily seen a big advantage of home teams in the last seven days, but if you're able to go back to the last 30 days, favorites still doing a relatively solid job for you, hitting at a clip of 62.9% according to covers, 246 and 145. Home teams over the last 30 days, 205 and 192, and in this time span, unders have been dominating. 198 unders, 178 overs, so that's an under clip of about 52.5%, and if you're looking at the season to date, unders still have a lead on overs. 889 unders, 970 overs, so the under is hitting at a rate of about 50.5%, which bookmakers would probably like to see it a little bit closer to like a 51-ish percent, but certainly these guys are very good at their job, and they're getting the results that they probably want. Home teams overall for the year, winning 54.4% of the time, 1,118 and 936, and favorites hitting at a 59.7% clip. 
1,214 and 819. So that's what we're all seeing for Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we all wound up seeing for baseball on Monday. Now let's turn our attention to the young guns. Let's take a look at some of the prospects that might be making a little bit of an impact in October. Some of the guys that might be getting some starts for teams out of the race that could wind up delivering good starts for you as well. To talk about this and so much more, we bring in William Bohr of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back in Love you, Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as this man does an absolutely terrific job of taking a look at a lot of the stars of tomorrow and some of those guys, well, they are the stars of today as we've got some September call-ups. This man does a terrific job over there at MLB Pipeline. That is where you find a lot of the MLB prospects that's where you find out about a lot of these guys that wound up getting drafted in the past year or so William does a great job as he is based out there in the state of Arizona of taking a look at all these guys and as a lot of you guys know a lot of the winter ball winds up happening out there in Arizona so William gets a nice up close and personal view of them and he also does a great job when it comes to the top 30 list of the Cardinals and Diamondbacks and to be able to follow William on Twitter that is at the letter W and then his last name Boar B-O-O-R and William Great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, anytime, Greg. Always happy to hop on and talk some baseball with you. It is great to have you aboard. And we have seen quite a few teams over the last, I would say, week or so decide to go with some of their younger prospects and give them a little bit of a shot. We have seen it work out for some of these teams, like the first start for A.J. Alexi, who we are doing this before he wanted making his start on Monday against the Texas Rangers, looked absolutely magnificent in his first start. Meanwhile, on the flip side for the Angels, they trotted out their Jansen junk on Sunday, and well, that was a start in which it was marred by a couple errors. It did not wind up going well for them. That was a little bit unfortunate, but of the guys that you've seen get called up for these teams in September, some of them in the race, some of them like the Rangers and the Angels, who I described, well, they're not going to be making the postseason. Has there really been a guy or two that has made a big impression on you this first week or so of them being called up to the majors? Like you said, Alexi put together a big start, good or bad. I'm not trying to read into one start or one week from like a lot of these guys. And I think that's kind of the tricky part about September in general is you get super excited to see these guys. And if they look great, all of a sudden you enter 2022 thinking like, wow, this guy's going to be rookie of the year, maybe MVP, blah, blah, blah. If they look bad, you're like, oh my God, this guy's terrible. In reality, it's a small sample size either way. But that being said... I am curious to see how Heber Ruiz plays with the Nationals. He was obviously the big piece in the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal. We had him ranked very high. He's number 19 overall on our top 100. We obviously think very highly of him. The Nationals do too. That's why they went out and got him. So we want to see if that's right, if he deserves that ranking. Did he deserve to be the centerpiece in that trade going the other way? I'm going to be really curious to see his month so far. Prior to the trade, he was hitting really well, showing a lot of power at like AAA. So want to make sure that carries over. And then the other guy who stands out, just because I just got finished watching the Red Sox and Rays game, is he's obviously been up a while, but Wander Franco was obviously our number one prospect for all of this year, most of last year. He's reached base, and I think it's like 35, 36 straight games now, so he's clearly showing that he was worthy of that ranking, he was ready to be called up, and that he is definitely able to contribute not only in the big leagues, but on a roster that will be playing in October. 
I'm so glad that you brought up Wander Franco as we do have joined in the podcast. William Board does a great job with MLB.com and MLB Pipeline because with Franco, I think that on Monday you want a breaching base for a 38th straight game. I think that that's a Tampa Bay Rays record. And I remember watching him his first couple of games. He wound up having that nice home run and it was like his debut or his second game. And then after that, it was a little bit of a fall off. But as you mentioned, you want to be taking a look at a little bit more of these guys long term. And as the season has went along, Franco has just become better and better. And of all the guys that wound up getting called up this past year or so, I would say that he's probably going to be be making the biggest impact of any of these guys. But I also take a look at a few other younger guys. I know that you guys were high on Jonathan India coming into the year. I think that he's going to be a key to whether or not the Reds wind up making the postseason or not, especially with them still dealing with that Jesse Winker injury. And then something else I think is of great fascination as well as do we wind up seeing a few of these younger guys coming out of the bullpen? Because we know that with the Chicago White Sox, they've had a lot of their up-and-coming prospects coming out of the bullpen. Obviously, Michael Kopech has been at the MLB level for a few years, just wound up dealing with some injuries. But even someone like a Garrett Crochet, who wound up pretty much skipping the minors before he got sent up to the majors late last year, I think that he's going to be a big cog for them. And I think that that's something that is really noteworthy because a lot of times when you see some of these guys wind up getting called up during the season slash as September call-ups, sometimes they wind up making a big impact in October out of the bullpen. Yeah, definitely. I think the two White Sox examples were really great examples of that, of guys that'll be, you know, probably starting pitchers long-term, but or just to get them on the major league roster. They came up initially out of the bullpen. I think Shane Boz, who is in the Rays farm system, is one of our their top prospects. He was originally in the Pirate system, came over in the Chris Archer trade a few years ago. I think he's someone to keep an eye on where he has a really good fastball slider combo. He's definitely a starter long-term, but you've got a fastball slider combo. You've got a team in contention. Maybe that's a good way to come up, steal some innings, especially given the fact that he's in Tampa Bay's system and we know how creative they can get with using their pitching staff and being like, hey, you're just throwing innings four through six today or whatever they want to do. So I think you definitely got to look at the race system for this type of question just because of the way they use their pitchers very creatively and, you know, mixing and mashing and also putting their people in position to succeed. It seems like every pitcher they ever bring up is a success story. And that's not an accident. That's a big testament to their development program and how they do it. And then also on the major league side, how they use pitchers and what matchups and what innings and how they put everyone out there. So I think there's someone to look for. Matthew Libertor of the Cardinals could get called up. I don't think he's someone that's necessarily going to like change the playoff race or anything, especially like being with the Cardinals, but he's a top prospect. He was in the Randy Rosarina trade. So I think there will naturally just be intrigue in that, seeing maybe what the Cardinals got out of him going the other way of that trade, since obviously Rosarina's played well. Oh, absolutely. We've seen a Rosarena who I believe is actually eligible for rookie of the year this year. He really is. do a terrific job for the Tampa Bay Rays. And Ironically enough, his own teammate, Wander Franco, is really providing some good charge there. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Boz over there with the Rays because the Rays wound up trading away Chris Archer for Boz, along with Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass. Now, the only piece that the Pittsburgh Pirates wound up getting is Chris Archer. And guess where Chris Archer is? Pitching right now for the Tampa Bay Rays. If that's not a fleecing, I don't know what is. <laughs> we do have William Borjo to be on the podcast. And Fortunately, a lot of these trades haven't been such big fleecings, but I know that you were talking a little bit 
about the Nationals and the Dodgers deal that we wound up seeing at the deadline. And one of the other main pieces of that trade has been Josiah Gray. We're going to be seeing Josiah Gray a little bit later on this week. I know that he had a start a few days ago that really didn't go as planned. But in his first few starts with the Washington Nationals, he looked very good. Now, what we're going to be able to expect out of him these final three or four starts of the year, that's anyone's guess. But I do think that moving forward, the Nationals do have a frontline starter in Josiah Gray, and one that they really need. Because when you take a look at the Washington Nationals staff, well, it's not very good. Patrick Corbin has just fallen off a cliff. I have no idea what's happened to him. And you can tell that they didn't necessarily have good young pitching in their system. So I think that getting Josiah Gray is good for them long term. And I think that these next few starts are going to be very critical in his development. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, the last one wasn't great, but there is a reason he was so highly covered in the trade. There's a reason he was in our top 100 prospects list and why we were so excited to see him debut. I think what we saw those first couple dominant starts is probably more of the real Josiah Gray. I think that he's going to be a frontline starter for a while, and that was obviously important for the Nationals to get that if you're giving up such a big package as Scherzer and Turner. Not only do you want to get younger and kind of reset everything, but you want to have impact players as well. You don't want to waste Juan Soto, obviously. So you want to get a pitcher who can contribute and can contribute soon. And I think Gray is that person um, who will be their number one or number two starter for a very long time. I think in his first few starts, he's definitely shown that he's capable of doing that. I mean, he's not Scherzer. He hasn't thrown no hitters yet. He hasn't struck out 17 or some of those crazy things that Scherzer's done, but he definitely has proven that he can be effective at this level and that he can get major league hitters out on a consistent basis. And William, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit here because I'm going to say a phrase that I don't think too many people are saying on podcasts and radio right now. Let's take a look at some of the bright pieces for the Chicago Cubs as they've actually had a couple of them because as we know, they wanted trading away everything at the trade deadline, but I take a look at a trio of guys and I've been really impressed by these three that have gotten opportunities ever since the trade deadline. You've got Rafael Ortega who's hitting right around a 290, 350 on base. He's looked very solid. Frank Schwindel, I think, is entering into Tuesday, having had a home run in something like six out of his last eight games. This guy has just caught absolute lava. And then you've got a guy in Patrick Wisdom that the batting average has not been there the last month or so, but he has really been able to do a great job of being able to put back to ball. He wound up having a little bit of a cup of coffee at the big league level the last few years with teams like the Cubs, the St. Louis Cardinals, who was starting with to begin with as well. But I take a look at these three guys, and I do think that the Cubs have a little bit of something with this trio moving forward, though obviously I think we'd also both agree that the pitching of the Cubs are right now trying out a bunch of young guys, and many of these guys are going to need a little bit of seasoning, though I also do like what I'm seeing out of Justin Steele. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I would also take some of those trades even a step further. Alexander Canario is an outfielder that they got from the Giants as part of the Chris Bryant deal. Since he's been traded, so 30 games, he's only in high A, but through those 30 games, he's gone deep seven times, hitting 300. And he's someone that we were high on on the Giants list. We're obviously still high on now. He's in low A, so he's a couple years away. But like you mentioned, they've got players that are now filling in roles and getting time. And you're seeing some of those prospects that they got back. Canario, Caleb Killian, some of these other guys, Kevin Alcantara, who they got from the Yankees, who are performing well. And you're starting to say, hey, maybe those trades 
as devastating as they are to Cubs fans now. You've got to understand the business and the long-term goals, and maybe some of these trades will pay off in 2022, 2023, 2024, and so on. They certainly do have a bunch of prospects for the long term, and as we know, with the Cubs being able to win their title in 2016, a lot of it was built off the fact that they were sellers at the trade deadline in years like 2013, 2014. So going to be interesting to watch them moving forward as we do have William Borg joining me here on the podcast. Does a great job with MLB Pipeline at MLB.com. And then I'm very interested to see one of the starters that is going to be coming up on Tuesday that I know has been a highly touted guy and he just has not come through thus far. That would be Spencer Howard. It feels like in every one of Spencer Howard's starts, he has a good two sometimes three innings, and then after that first time through the lineup, he just gets rocked, and that's indicated in the numbers. First time facing off against hitters, opponents are a 208 off of him. Second time through, a 419. This is just very alarming in my opinion because I know that Spencer Howard has some good stuff. Every time I see him, there's always like those first two or three innings of a game in which it's like, hey, maybe this is the day that Spencer Howard is going to put it together. And then every single time, the second time through the lineup, he just gets absolutely rocked. I don't know what you make out of him, but it seems like he's got the stuff, but I don't necessarily know if he's necessarily cut out to be a great starter just because every time he reaches that second time through a lineup, he just gets destroyed. Yeah, it's baffling. Like you said, he's still only 25. So he gets through the lineup the first two, three innings really well, which proves that he has the stuff to get major league hitters out. But then that second time through the lineup, or just, you know, as the start goes on, I think that also proves that there's adjustments needed. They figure something out, or, you know, there's a tell, or I'm not really sure what it is, but clearly something with the stuff doesn't hold up. So I don't know the answer to that. Is it an adjustment that he needs to get better at sequencing? Is it a stamina thing? I guess I could look at spin rates and miles per hour. Does this stuff kind of tail off later on? Is it just a matter of maybe he becomes a middle innings guy and you get two or three innings out of him and you call it quits, which is fine. There's a need for that on every team. And maybe that's who he is because that's the way his stuff plays. I'm not sure, but it's really weird because like you said, if you see someone who dominates, that's great. If you see someone who gets shelled every time, then obviously they need to rework everything or they're just not cut out to be in the major leagues. But he's that weird spot right in the middle where he shows you just enough and then he gets hit hard. And then as soon as you're doubting him, he shows you some more and it's got to be really confusing. I agree with you. He sort of reminds me a few years ago of what we saw to Gregory Soto, who we remember began as a starter for the Detroit Tigers. Felt like he would always come out, give you two, three good innings, and then he would promptly get rocked. He has since went into the bullpen and was actually an all-star closer for the Detroit Tigers this year. So maybe that's the path moving forward for Spencer Howard. Going to be interesting to watch him on Tuesday. And then the other young guy that I'm really curious to see on Tuesday as well, that'd be Jackson Cower of the Kansas City Royals. Now, his first two starts did not wind up going well. That's putting it very politely. But as we've talked about throughout this interview, it's hard to really make sweeping judgments on like two or three starts for a guy, for a position player a bad week or two because we certainly have seen it as guys wind up getting more and more reps at the big league level. They're able to come through and they're able to look solid for Cower in his last start. Wound up giving up two runs in six innings against the Cleveland Indians. By far his best start and 
how do you project this guy out? Because I know that with Cower in his first few starts, the command was not necessarily there. He's given up eight walks and 11 innings at the big league so far this year. But you take a look at his minor league numbers. He's a guy that does a great job of being able to get swings and misses, does a really good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. And he's got some electrifying stuff. And I do think that he's someone that the Royals will be able to look to in 2022 and moving forward. Yeah, we're hiring Cower. He was a top 100 prospect. The thing that's good for him, too, is that you know, the Royals brought him up. The Royals are way out of it. There's no pressure in the sense that obviously you want to win every time you take the ball, but his outing is not going to make or break a wild card run or anything like that. So it's just a matter of, hey, go out there, do your thing. If you succeed, great. If not, let's learn from it and adjust and do what's needed. We're still high on him. I know, you know, the Royals obviously believe in him and think there's talent there. And I think He's shown it. He's a little sandwich round, 33rd overall for a reason. So there's a lot there. I wouldn't be concerned over a couple starts. Like you said, he's only pitched 11 innings in the majors. So there's no way around it. That's 11 innings. So it is what it is. You're not going to worry about something until you get a few more starts from a guy. But that said, you obviously would like to see him at least every now and then throw a nice little five inning, one run start you know, this week or something like that. But I think he's in a good spot and he's going to get three-ish more starts this season finish on a strong note, have a good offseason, and then let's really see who you are in 2022 because now he's going to enter the offseason knowing what it takes to be at the major league level, knowing what the routine's like, a little bit of what the travel's like, all that, and it'll just make the adjustment all that much easier next season going forward. Totally agree with you. I do think that there are some good signs for Jackson Keller like we wound up seeing in the last start. If he's able to put together a nice September, we'll certainly build some positive momentum for 2022. And we've talked quite a few of the guys that are going to be going on Tuesday. We've talked about a few guys in general. Is there anyone else that we're going to be seeing here in September and perhaps in October that you feel like the people should really be taking note of? My one guy is Aaron Ashby of the Milwaukee Brewers. He wound up pitching in some super long relief against the St. Louis Cardinals a few days ago. Looked very solid, one of the top prospects for the Brewers. So I really do think that he might wind up making an impact for Milwaukee in the month of October. I don't know if there's a guy or two that's coming to mind for you, but I certainly think that that might be someone that should be on the radar. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Boz. We probably won't see Bobby Witt Jr., but he's someone who I would like to see. He's been tearing it up in AAA for the Royals, but... You know, they don't need him to make a playoff push or anything. And then you get into service time and all that. I don't know if they'll necessarily call him up. We've seen him, obviously, last year. I think the Giants could maybe call up Joey Bart, which could be interesting for a little extra pop in the lineup or to give someone a day off. But they're obviously in a tight race, so I don't know how they want to manage that. I think he's just going to, as I mentioned earlier, continue to want to see, not necessarily for postseason stuff, but just continue to see how Ruiz looks behind the plate and in the lineup in Washington, just to really kind of further evaluate that trade. Yep, September is going to be a lot of fun. If you're someone that's looking forward to the future, there's a little bit of something for you. If you're looking at some of these teams in the postseason race, we wound up mentioning some of the guys over there for the Tampa Bay Rays. I wound up throwing out there Aaron Ashby for the Milwaukee Brewers. There's a little bit of something for there for you as well. And William, you do a great job of being able to evaluate so many of these guys that are going to be the stars of tomorrow. You're based out there in the state of Arizona, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. You see a lot of winter ball played out there in Arizona. So you're really tracking these guys 12 months out of the year, whereas so many other folks, you only wind up being able to get to see them 
during spring training slash during the minor league season. So you get to see them really up close and in person. And I know you do a great job of being able to lend your insights for MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, and so many other platforms. So let the good people at home know what you're working on right now and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, like everyone, just kind of enjoying the push to the postseason in both the major and minor leagues. Obviously, the majors gets more attention, but that doesn't mean playoff baseball is interesting at whatever level it's at. So watching all that, and then, as you mentioned, with winter leagues and everything like that, getting ready for the Arizona Fall League, which starts mid-October. So that'll be a good chance for me to get a look at some of these more guys and really start getting a good idea for who will be contributors and Rookie of the Year candidates in 2022. And hopefully this year we are actually going to have Rookie of the Year contenders that are more out there in winter ball rather than guys that wanted playing in 2020 that, due to the strangeness of the 2020 season, were actually up for Rookie of the Year in 2021, which I just still think that that's funny that Randy Rosarena is up for Rookie of the Year this year. But with that said, William, doing an absolutely tremendous job of being able to take a look at so many of these prospects based out there in the great state of Arizona. So he's going to be evaluating a lot of these guys the next few months as they wind up going through a winter ball as they wind up being able to get a chance to be able to be out there on the field and try to progress their games as well. And he's kind enough to join me from time to time on this podcast as well. So big thanks, William, for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to get William Bohr on the podcast. He does a great job of looking at the stars of tomorrow when it comes to Major League Baseball. Does a great job when it comes to all these prospects. And hey, I'm pretty sure that some of these guys that we were talking about in the last segment going to be making some big impacts on your bets in both September and October. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time in the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday. And a little something like call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUNRSQUARD1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as per usual on this. This is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. We've got a couple games that are off the board due to to be determined pitchers, and once we wind up finding out pitchers for that, I'll have more set numbers on the spreadsheet along with my Twitter feed as well, so be on the lookout for that as we do start with that first National League game, 951-952 on the bank board. The New York Mets at the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Edward Cabrera is going to be going for the Metropolitans. Carlos Carrasco is going to be on the bump for the Mets. Mets are anywhere between minus 153 and minus 165 favorites. Meanwhile, your plus price with Miami is anywhere between plus 140 and plus 158.27.5 is your total. As the under on 8 is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 7.5, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and even money. And for Carrasco, he's coming off of a couple halfway decent starts. In his last three starts, He's given up three runs or fewer in every one of them, going five plus innings, but it still has not necessarily been going well from in his last start against Miami. Gave up three runs at five to third innings, and I think that that's what we can expect out of him from this start. He has given up overall seven home runs and just five walks in 20 and two thirds innings. So, stop walking, guys. Just give it up a little bit too much of the plate. Meanwhile, Edward Cabrera, 
He has had only two starts. He himself gave up three runs in four innings in his last start against the New York Mets. Very solid at the minor league level. Someone who is going to give up a couple more walks than what has already been indicated. Three walks given up in ten and two-thirds innings in his two starts thus far. He has given up three home runs, but I think that he's going to be able to do a good job of being able to lessen the hard contact, but I do think that the command might wind up going on him a little bit, and then you take a look at both of these teams, and you've got a Miami Marlins team that they really are based around Asus Aguirre. He's the only guy in this roster with north of 15 home runs. He's hitting about a 260 for this bunch. Miguel Rojas, he's hitting about a 275. Got quite a few guys hitting in that neighborhood of about a 230-ish to a 240-ish. You've got in there Luis Brinson, Asus Sanchez. You're able to throw in there Mangolia Sierra as well. And then you've got Jazz Shislam. He's hitting more in the neighborhood about a 255. You've also had Brian De La Cruz hitting well above a 300 for this bunch. So that has been solid. And for the Miami Marlins, Bullpen has been good for the team, and the Mets bullpen has been good. Trevor May, Aaron Loop, you've even got Edwin Diaz doing a good job for the Mets. Now, Diaz can sometimes have his ups and his downs, but certainly they've been able to get the job done. Certainly better than their offense, as Brandon Nimmo is currently on the 10-day injured list, but you do have a pair of guys that are matching for the team. Pete Alonso, Lontavi Bias, both of these guys north of 25 home runs for the year. And Jonathan VR has been able to bust out as well. He, along with Pete Alonso, pair of guys hitting between about a 265 to a 270 with VR. He's been able to leave the yard 18 times so far this year, but you need a couple of these guys to be able to step up. Kevin Pillar, Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, all in between a 222 to 230. But I will say this for Kevin Pillar. You take a look at him in the month of September. Small sample size thus far, but hitting above a foreign. They also have Jeff McNeil hitting about a 250. James McCann is hitting about a 240. So not necessarily a ton of firepower here, but with that said, you got a pair of guys at the pitcher spot that have been a little bit shaky. The bullpens have been relatively solid, and this is a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, so a little bit of an interesting read here, but I did wind up setting the total north of 8, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over. Heck, I'd probably even take a look at an 8.5 over, but if as long as I was getting north of a plus 136, I was willing to take the fish. Certainly got that as well, so going over along with the Miami Marlins. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals hit the road face-off against the Atlanta Braves. Max Freed is going to be going for the Braves. Paulo Espino is going to be on the bump for the Nationals. Total in this game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even minus 110 with the Braves. You're finding them anywhere between minus 240 and minus 211. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Nationals is anywhere between plus 190 and plus 209. Espino wound up having a couple very good starts for the Washington Nationals at the beginning of the year, but you can tell that he has gotten very much figured out. This is not a very hard thrower. He's a guy that he's not going to go out there and walk anyone. He's given up right around 1.7 walks per nine innings, but more like 1.6 home runs per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine rate hovering right around about a 7.3. You take a look at him at home. He's been a little bit better than he has been on the road. 380 home ERA. Now he's sitting the road with a 460 ERA, and he's given up seven home runs in 31 and a third innings away from Washington, D.C., so that is obviously a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at Max Fried, and he's been able to do his best work in Atlanta. This is someone that has 11 wins already so far this year, and he's 6-3 and three with a 3.11 ERA in Atlanta. The ERA climbs to a 3.90 on the road, and he's just given up less hard contact in general. Four home runs given up in 63 and two-thirds innings at home on the road. Ten bombs in 67 innings, and opponents are a 2.25 off of him in Atlanta. Meanwhile, on the road, that's more like a 2.59, and you've got a Braves team that you've got a whole bunch of guys there supplying for this team. Ozzie Albee, Stansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley... 
Jorge Soler, along with Adam Duvall, all guys that have been able to give you at least 24 home runs so far this year. You take a look at Freeman and Riley in the middle. Both of these guys are in north of a 290 with north of a 375 on base. Ozzy Albies, along with Dansby Swanson, in between about a 255 to a 260, you're able to throw in there their new acquisition in Eddie Rosario as well. And for the Braves, the bullpen hasn't necessarily been as good as it was last year, but you know that these guys are rounding into form a little bit more. Luke Jackson has been able to give you some good innings ever since the beginning of the month of July. Tyler Manzik has an ERA that is sub two. Richard Rodriguez is able to give you a couple good innings. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Washington Nationals. And Kyle Finnegan has been able to do a good job for this team. I do think that Ryan Harper is the guy that they're able to build around for the future as well. But then you've got Wander. I swear this guy sucks. And he's got nearly a 70 ERA. Austin Voth now has a 6 ERA as well. So not necessarily too great there. And for the Washington Nationals, you've got two guys here doing a good job of being able to give this team some power. Juan Soto, Josh Bell, both of these guys between 23 and 25 home runs apiece. For Bell, he's hitting right around 255 for Soto. 444 on base, so he's been very impressive there. Yadiel Hernandez is hitting a 275. Carter Keyboom, more like a 245, but then you got quite a few guys that they do need to pick it up. But the good news is Lane Thomas, ever since coming over to the Nationals, he has been very good in 20 games. He's hitting right around a 333. Also, has slugged out a tree of home runs for this team. Obviously, the Nationals in clear rebuild mode after what we wound up seeing at the trade deadline. I do think that it's going to be an uphill battle for them. And with the Atlanta Braves, if you're taking a look at the run line with them, you're currently finding that between about a minus 110 to a minus 115. I was willing to lay up to a minus 130 personally because I set them more around a minus 230 on the money line. Also set this all at 9.8 with the way that Espino just has not been able to deliver. He had an ERA in the month of August that was well north of 5. You can tell that things after the beginning of the season have just really dried up on him. So, going to be going over along with that Atlanta Braves run line. 955-956 on the bank board. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Eric Lauer is going to be going for the Brew Crew. Meanwhile, Aaron Super is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies. For both of these teams, you're finding them as low as a minus 102 to a minus 110. We've got very equal money lines, so relative pick'em game here. If you're taking a look at the total, it is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And On the 8, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. Saw an 8.5 pop at DraftKings. It has went back to an 8, but when you've had an 8.5, under has been minus 120, and the over has been even. And for Eric Lauer, he has been able to come through for the Milwaukee Brewers recently. I give him a lot of credit. Someone that was a little bit of a cast off with the San Diego Padres last year and during the 2020 season certainly had his trials and tribulations to say the least has come through and he's been able to give the team some very good starts. He has allowed a combined seven runs over the course of his last five starts and you take a look at it. The last time he wound up giving up more than three earned runs you have to go all the way back to June 14th. So this is someone that has really been able to do a good job for this bunch. Ten straight starts in which he's given up three earned runs or fewer and he's kept the ball in the yard. He has given up a combined two home runs over his last eight, nine starts, so he has been able to do a solid job there, and you just take a look at this Milwaukee Brewers team. They are a team that has been lacking a little bit with the bat. You can tell that Willie Adamas isn't necessarily 100% right now, but you do have Colt Wong at the top. He, Jace Peterson, along with Omar Nervais, only between about 272 to a 283. All these guys, other than Col- Colton Wong, have a north of a 365 on base. You've got Eduardo Escobar back in the fold. Hasn't necessarily done a lot as a Milwaukee Brewer, but he does have 24 home runs so far this year. He should be able to lend a little bit of pop ever since the beginning of the month of August. Christian Yelich is hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 300, so that has been beneficial for this team. You've had Luis Odias be able to do a solid job. He's hitting about a 250-19 home runs for him. Rowdy Tellas, ever since coming over to the Brewers, has been solid as well. And then we wound up seeing it with the Philadelphia Phillies yesterday. This is an offense that is cooking with some gas. Freddie Galvis 
you're able to throw in there Odubo Herrera along JT Riumito, all in between about a 247 to a 265. Now, you do need a little bit more out of Andrew McCutcheon, D.D. Gregorius, and Brad Miller, all in between a 220 and a 230, but for McCutcheon, 24 home runs, 340 on base. Bryce Harper, he went deep again yesterday. This is a man that now has 28 home runs. He's trying to claw his way back into the MVP on. The big thing with the Philadelphia Phillies, though, their bullpen is not great. Archie Bradley, over the last few weeks, has really seen his ERA rise. They're kicking the tires on Cam Bedrosian at this point. Bailey Falter has certainly has had his falters with the writer out of five-ish ERA. And then for the Milwaukee Brewers, they wound up having Luke Maley pitch yesterday, but they certainly do have some good pieces. Devin Williams, Josh Hader, Brad Boxberger wound up going yesterday, and he did not wind up looking good, but Hunter Strickland, Saul Jay Cousins is someone that I do like for this team as well. So I do take a look at this spot, and I set the Brewers as a pretty sizable favorite because Aaron Nola has not been the same on the road as he has been at home. On the road for his career, he's got a point higher on his ERA than at home, and you take a look at him so far this year. A 5.57 road ERA, a 3.33 home ERA, he's given up eight home runs in 70 innings at home on the road, 15 bombs in 82 and two-thirds innings, and opponents are getting 2.46 off of him when he's away from him, 2.19 off of him when he's at home. So setting the Brewers as more like a minus 140-ish favorite, so I'm going to be taking a shot there. And when it comes to this total, we have seen Aaron Nola give up quite a few runs on the road, so they wind up setting the total at 8.4, so going over on the 8 along with the Milwaukee Brewers. 9.57, 9.58 on the bang board. The Cincinnati Reds going to be hitting the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Adrian Sampson is going to be going for the Cubs. Wade Miley hopes to have a party out there in Chicago for the Reds as they are finding themselves as favorites anywhere between minus 154 and minus 165. Currently don't have any run lines or totals up due to the Wrigley Field win. A lot of bookmakers wind up just holding off on setting a total until the morning. But if you're taking a look at the Cubs anywhere between plus 140 and plus 154 on that money line, I do personally have a total on this one. I set it at 9.3 because what I'm seeing is that it is going to be a situation which wind is going to be blowing out very, very heavily towards the afternoon slash early evening. Then it's going to be blowing in towards the nighttime. And this is a 4.40 p.m. Pacific, 6.40 p.m. Central first pitch. So we might wind up seeing the wind completely change direction in this game. So this is going to be updated a little bit if we wind up seeing a change of forecast. But set the total initially at 9.3. So a 9 or lower. I'm going to be taking a look at the over 9.5 or higher. going to be taking a look at the under. And I set the Reds as north of $2 favorites. I do recognize that Adrian Sampson had a pretty good start against the Cincinnati Reds the first time around and has actually come out of the bullpen and has looked relatively solid. But also keep in mind, this is the same guy that last year wound up going to the KBO and wound up getting lit up there with north of a 5 ERA. He's got a buck 59 ERA across 11 and a third inning, so a very small sample size. He has given up two home runs and he's backed up by a bullpen that, quite frankly, is not necessarily so great. Michael Rucker has just been getting absolutely destroyed with an 868 ERA. Now, Manuel Rodriguez, Adam Morgan, these guys have been able to do solid work with Rodriguez right around 240 ERA. You have Cody Hoyer has been able to turn things around a little bit since coming over from the Chicago White Sox, but for Wade Miley, he has been able to do a good job on the road so far this year. 287 home ERA, 307 road ERA. On the road, has given up six home runs and 73 and a third innings, and opponents are getting 221 off of him. And then you've got a Reds team of which you do have quite a few guys that are able to mesh in this lineup. We were talking a little bit earlier with William Bohr about Jonathan India, 377 on base at the leadoff spot, 18 home runs so far this year. Tyler Stevenson, he's up for Rookie of the Year honors. I don't think that he's going to get him, but 285 batting average. He has been very solid. And Eugenio Suarez is back in the fold. He, Nick Cassianos, in between 24 and 26 home runs apiece for Cassianos. He's hitting at 321. And how about what you've been able to get out of Taylor Naquin ever since the beginning of the month of August? He's hitting right around like a 340-ish. He has been absolutely 
incredible for this team. And you've got Mike Moussakis back in the fold as well. And then you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of the Cubs. And Frank Schwindel and Rafael Ortega at the top of the fold. Both of these guys hitting above a 290. In the case of Schwindel, a 343 batting average with six home runs in his last nine games. So he's been able to catch fire there. You have been able to get a little bit more out of Ian Happ recently ever since the beginning of the month of August. He's turned it around. But he, along with Jason Award, Sergio Alcantara, you've got both of the Romines hitting a 215 or lower for this bunch. Wilson Contreras is back. He's got a 333 on base. And for Happ, he does have 19 home runs. But with the Reds, I do think that their bullpen is going to be able to get the job done. Michael Gibbons, along with Luis Sessa, have been able to give this bullpen a little bit of a spark that has been needed. Lucas Sims has been able to give you some good innings as well. So I do take a look at the spot. And I set the Reds as north of a $2 favorite on the money line. Got to think that this is going to become a run line play for me. We just don't have run lines up because there is no total. But like I said, with a 9 or lower, take a look at the over. 9.5 or higher to the under. 9.59, 9.60 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers are going to be hitting the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Jay Epp is going to hope to not be appless for the St. Louis Cardinals. Meanwhile, to be determined, is going to be going for the Dodgers. So we've got no numbers up on this game. And for the Dodgers, you got to figure that this is going to be some sort of a bullpen du jour sort of game. Maybe you wind up having Mitchell White give you a couple innings because they've been using him in bulk. And if you do wind up getting Mitchell White, he's been okay. He has been great. He has been terrible. His last start against the Colorado Rockies gave up three runs in three and a third innings. That was a little bit over a week ago, so he certainly is on full rest. David Price had to come out of the bullpen on Sunday, so you got to figure if he does wind up going in this one, it would not be for very long, and this is a Dodgers team that they've just used up so many arms. Neftali Feliz is someone that they're kicking the tires on, and yet despite all this, the Dodgers over the last 30 days have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. It's just absolutely amazing. You've got guys like Alex Vazia, Evan Phillips and company that are starting to give you a little bit of something. They kick the tires on Shane Green. He's been able to come through a little bit. And then you take a look at Jay App. Speaking of kicking the tires on someone, he's actually been quite good for the St. Louis Cardinals. Has a 4.30 ERA in his six starts for them. And prior to that, in his last 16 starts with the Twins, he had right around an 8 ERA. Now, he got completely shelled in his last start, giving up seven runs in an inning against the Cincinnati Reds. You take that out, and with the St. Louis Cardinals, he's got like a buck fifty ERA, though he has still given up a bunch of home runs. 27 home runs given up in 127 and two-thirds innings. He's been giving up him up at home. He's been giving them up on the road, so that is certainly a little bit of an issue and that's even more of an issue when you face off against an L.A. Dodgers team that let's face it, they've got a whole lot of guys that are able to go deep on you. Trey Turner down for what? Mookie Betts, Justin Turner down for what? Chris Taylor, Will Smith, Max Muncy, all at least 19 home runs so far this year. A.J. Pollock is shipping in there 16 of them, and you just take a look at their lineup. On a day-in and day-out basis, typically the only guy that's sitting below a 250 is Cody Bellinger, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got a lot of guys there sort of inning in that 255-ish to 270-ish range. You've got a lot of like-minded bats on this lineup. You've got Yadier Molina, who's been able to do a little bit of this and that. Tommy Edmond along Dylan Carlson certainly are in that fold. You've had Ubanda Sosa actually now hitting a 275. Harrison Bader is sitting in that pocket as well. Nolan Arenado has been able to give you 29 home runs. He's hitting right around a 260 as well. And for Paul Goldschmidt, he has really been able to turn it on for the team. Ever since the beginning of the month of July, this is a man that is sitting right in the neighborhood of about a 320-ish. He has been able to slug out in this time span as well. 13 home runs, so that has been very beneficial for them. But what has not been beneficial for the Cardinals? Bullpen has certainly been showing its warts recently. Genesis Cabrera, ever since the All-Star break, has a north of 5 ERA, though I will say, Luis Garcia, TJ McFarlane, these guys have been able to come through for you, but Alex Reyes, it is certainly certain to sour on him ever since the beginning of the month of August. This is a man that has an ERA that is well north of 5, so that is a little bit of an issue. And I do take a look at the Dodgers if they do wind up using a bullpen game against J.A.P., 
I'll probably be setting them as right around like a minus 160-ish favorite if it winds up being white against half because with the St. Louis Cardinals, I do feel like they still have a little bit of firepower in them to be able to make a run to the playoffs, but at the same time, I think that the Dodgers will just have them outclassed, and this is probably going to be a situation in which I'll be setting the total right in the neighbor of like a 9.2-ish, so a 9 or lower, I'd be taking a look at the over, even though I do recognize that the Dodgers have played two overs in their last 20 games, which I find to be insane, but check back at the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's Cordy. One lot, so question marks with the Dodgers, but initial looks there if we do wind up getting something like Mitch White going for them. 961-962 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies are going to be playing OC San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb is going to be going for the Yantes. Chichi Gonzalez is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies are going to be finding themselves as pretty big underdogs. Anywhere between plus 160 and plus 172. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Giants, it is anywhere between minus 175 and minus 195. Your total on this game is 11.5. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. For Gonzalez, it certainly has not been the world's greatest year, but it has been the greatest year for Logan Webb. How about in his last 14 starts, giving up two runs or fewer in all 14 of them, the San Francisco Giants in that time span are 13-1, and and he has been able to perform very well on the road. A 341 road ERA compared to a buck 66 home ERA, so obviously not quite as effective, but still giving up four home runs in 58 innings when he's away from San Francisco. His walks per nine rate is hovering right around two and a half, so this is a guy that has been really getting the job done. Meanwhile, you take a look at Chichi Gonzalez, and at Coors Field so far this year, he's got a 572 ERA. 11 total appearances, eight starts. He's given up six home runs in 50 and a third innings, much better than the 12 home runs and 48 innings he's given up on the road, but opponents are at 305 off of him. If you have one trepidation with Logan Webb, it's that he has started at Coors Field before, but he hasn't made a lot of starts out there at the Rocky Mountains, so that is certainly going to be a little bit of an issue, but what is not an issue is the San Francisco Giants being able to pile up runs. You've just got so many guys they are able to come out, and they're able to give you at the very minimum 13 home runs. Austin Dickerson, Darren Ruff, Lamonte Wade, Chris Bryant, Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon belt. All guys that have been giving you at least 15 home runs along with Mikey Stramski who seems to be a little bit banged up but they do get back Evan Longoria. Longoria Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford all hitting at least a 285 for this bunch. Darren Ruff a north of 400 on base so you've got a lot of firepower there with the Giants. They are second in the league when it comes to bullpen ERA. They did wind up having to use up Dominique Leon and Caleb Barger yesterday but Leon only wound up throwing five pitches and you've got so many other guys you're able to look to as well. Someone like a Jarlin Garcia has been very good for the team and is able to give you multiple innings. Side of the Rodgers has certainly been able to do the job as well. Jose Alvarez has been able to give you some good innings. And for the Rockies, you've got Daniel Bart, who's got right around a 3 ERA at home. It's like a 10 on the road. It's absolutely insane. Carlos Aceves, you at least just seen, they're able to give you a little bit of something, but I do think that it's going to be uphill sledding for them. But I will say this for the Rockies. They're in right around a 280 at home. They have the third best win percentage at home of any team out there in the major leagues. And you do have quite a few guys that are doing a good job of being able to put bat to ball. CJ Crone wound up being a pinch hitter yesterday but this is a man that's got 26 home runs so far this year at home. He has been able to hit 18 of those. I believe that all but two of Charlie Blackman's home runs have come at home. Someone like a Trevor Story has been able to hit right around a 300 at home on the road that dips right around the Mendoza line of 200 and you've got so many of these similar stories but with the San Francisco Giants, Logan Webb is just dealing right now. I feel like he should be priced like an ace and he is not at this point. I want to make the Giants a $2 favorite. I was very impressed by the fact that they wound up having to come off of Sunday night baseball, play at elevation, and they took it to the Rockies yesterday.
yesterday. If you're looking at the run line of the Giants, you're going to find a lot of fluctuation here. It's anywhere between minus 115 and minus 132. I'm certainly going to take the minus 115. I'm actually willing to lay up to a minus 140, but obviously always get the best price there. So going to be looking at the Giants on the run line. I did wind up setting the total at an 11.3 as well. So we're going to be diving under along with that San Francisco Giants run line. 963, 964 on the banking board. The Minnesota Twins hit the road face off against the Cleveland Indians. Aaron Savali is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, John Gant is on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are finding themselves as underdogs of anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Cleveland, you're going to be getting them anywhere between minus 132, minus 149, and a half is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110, and even money. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. But I'm making the Indians a minus 155 favorite. Although Savali didn't necessarily have the world's greatest peripheral numbers prior to going on the injured list during the very early summer months, this is someone that was able to post up a 10 and 2 record, 332 ERA, giving up right around 1.3 ish home runs per nine innings. This is going to be his first start since June 21st, but certainly a guy that has been very capable. Now, I will say this he did wind up giving up four plus runs in three out of his last five starts prior to going on the injured list, and he did wind up giving up the deep ball a little bit, but certainly someone that has been able to do a good job of being able to hold it down and not put on runners cheaply. He's given up right around 2.1 walks per nine innings, and for John Gant, he has not necessarily been doing that to say the least. You take a look at him between his stints in the bullpen and as a starter, he is giving up right in the neighbor about 5.8 walks per nine innings. That is not necessarily too spectacular in his starts that he's gotten with the Minnesota Twins. He's given up at least four runs in two out of the three, so you don't necessarily have that working. Now, I will say, he's given up right around 0.85 home runs per nine innings, but this is also a man that he just is going to not necessarily be able to give you a lot of length because he does wind up using so many pitches in order to try to get outs. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is not necessarily the world's greatest bullpen. Ore Alcala, Alex Colome. These guys have been okay. I mean, with Colome, he's now got his ERA hovering right around four, but still, you expect a little bit more. Luke Farrell, fresh off the injured list, has a sub two ERA. He's been solid along with Ralph Garza Jr., but I certainly have some questions when it comes to that group. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Cleveland Indians, and Emmanuel Classe has been good all year long. Buck 51 ERA. You do have a few guys that you have some question marks with, like a Trevor Steven. Nick Wickgren has been up and down all year long, but Blake Parker has been able to give you some good innings. And then when you take a look at the Cleveland Indians, you've got a pair of guys that have north of 24 home runs so far this year, and Fran Mel Reyes along with Jose Ramirez. Both of these guys hang approximately a 260. Amit Rosario is hitting a 290, and ever since the All-Star break, hitting well above a 3 Miles Straw is hitting a 270. You do need a couple guys to be able to pick it up. You've got Daniel Johnson, Bradley, along with Oscar Mercado, and Yu Chang, only between a 2 20 and a 230, and then you've got Austin Edges, Owen Miller, both hitting below the middle, so I have 200, but you certainly have some guys out there that are able to rake, and then for the Minnesota Twins, you do have quite a few slugs in this lineup as well. Miguel Sano, Brent Rooker, Jake Cave, Max Kepler, Ryan Jeffers, you're able to throw in there, and Dalton Simmons, all in a 220 or lower, though I will say for Sano, right around 340 on base ever since the beginning of the month of August, and he's been able to slug out 24 home runs, so that's solid. You've got Josh Donaldson, along with Ode Palanco, both of these guys, between 21 and 27 home runs. Both of these guys between a 340 and a 350 on base for Byron Buxton, hitting about a 300 for the year, but ever since he's come off the injured list, he has not looked like himself, though. He was able to get a home run yesterday, which is big, but I do take a look at this spot. I just don't have any faith here in John Gant whatsoever. I think that Savali might be a little bit rusty coming off the injured list as well, which is why I do wind up setting this total at 10.2, so I'm going to be taking it over. And if you're looking at the Indians on the run line, because I do think that it's going to be a higher scoring game, finding that right around a plus 135, I was willing to 
take this as long as I was getting better than a plus 120, so I am going to wind up taking that run line because I do think that John Gant is going to get destroyed, and I'm going to be taking this total over along with that run line. 965-966 on the betting board. The Kansas City Royals hit the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Alexander Wells! Sounds like a 1930s name is going to be going for the Baltimore Orioles. I feel like we are getting, like, whatever that Orson Welles sort of thing was. I think that it was the War of the Worlds. I digress. Jackson Keller is going to be going for the Kansas City Royals, and we got no numbers on this game, so it is going to be the War of the Better Numbers that winds up prevailing with regards to my bets on this Tuesday, but we were talking about Jackson Keller a little bit earlier with our good buddy William Boran. Certainly had a couple rough starts, but I like what I saw from him at the minor league level, and in his last start against the Cleveland Indians. Six strong innings wound up giving up two runs. Seems like he's starting to turn the corner. He's a guy that I think is going to be able to get some good swings and misses. Only 8 strikeouts and 11 innings so far this year, but a very small sample size. Then you take a look at Mr. Wells and I don't think that this is someone that's necessarily going to blossom for this Orioles team. He's going to be making his first appearance on a big league mound ever since August 10th and in his two starts wound up going 10 and two-thirds innings earlier this year against the Rays and the Detroit Tigers wound up giving up a combined seven runs and three home runs and well when he's entered into games his teams are one and five in those games so far this year so that's not great a 771 ERA and he's backed up by a bullpen that flat out stinks. Cole Solzer has been able to give you a couple solid innings. Tanner Scott has been a little bit up and down, but he has been getting used up very, very much this year. Marcos Ziplan has actually given you a tad bit of something, but Fernando Abad, he is very Abad. He's got a north of 8 ERA. Connor Green is someone I have no faith in whatsoever in them for the Kansas City Royals. Jake Brands, along with Scott Barlow, have been able to give you some good innings. Joel Payampas has right around 2-5 ERA for the season. Josh Stamont, Domingo Tapia, they're able to do their job. And for the Kansas City Royals, you've got a home run chase that is going on with the team as Salvador Perez. 41 home runs. He and Whit Merrifield both hitting between a 275 and a 280. Nicky Lopez is hitting a 290 for this bunch. Got quite a few guys hitting in that neighborhood about a 242, a 256. Emmanuel Rivera, Andrew Benatendi, Ansar Alberto, Michael A. Taylor. So they've been able to give you a tad bit of something. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Baltimore Orioles. And got a trio of guys who are doing a good job of going yard for you. Trey Boomer, Mancini, Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, all at least 20 home runs. Aaron Fur, Mountcastle, and Mullins, both 26 plus home runs. So that has been good. With Mancini, Mountcastle, Austin the Say's kid, Ore Mateo. You've got all these guys hitting about a 250 to a 266. But then you've got the slugs on this team. Domingo Leiba, DJ Stewart, Ryan McKenna, Jemai Jones, Kelvin Gutierrez, Austin Wins. All these guys hitting at 215 or lower. Anthony Santander's been able to give you a little bit of something, but I do take a look at the spot. I do think that Cower is going to be able to lend a pretty good start. I'm setting the Royals as right around a minus 160 favorite in this spot. I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 110 on the run line. I'm also going to be setting this all at 10.1, so a 10 or lower going to be taking a look at the over 10 and a half higher. Going to be taking a look at the under. 967, 968 on the betting board. The New York Yankees are going to be playing us to Toronto Blue Jays. Steven Matz is going to be going for the Jays. Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as big favorites. Anywhere team minus 190, minus 210. Meanwhile, your plus price with Toronto is anywhere team plus 170 and plus 183. 8.5 is your total. Under is between even a minus 105. The over is anywhere team minus 115 and minus 120. And for Steven Matz, he is always a guy that has been highly inconsistent throughout his career. And I think that we, at this point, know what we can expect out of Garrett Cole. Since coming off of the COVID injured list, he has made four starts. He has given up a combined two runs and has went at least five and two-thirds innings in every one of those starts. He has allowed no home runs and three walks in his last three starts. And he's gotten at least nine strikeouts in four out of his last five starts. I think that he's back. He is right now leading the American League with regards to strikeouts per nine innings. That is hovering right around 12, and he's been at his best at Yankee Stadium. 239 ERA, 62 record at home, seven home runs given up in 71 and 
and two-thirds innings. His strikeouts per nine rate, that is touching right upon 12-ish, so he's been able to do a great job. Meanwhile, you take a look at Steven Madsen. He has certainly been up and down, but he has been very good recently. He's given up a combined four earned runs in his last four starts, and you take a look at him in his last five starts, he has given up two earned runs or fewer in every one of them. As a matter of fact, you're able to go back to each out of his last six starts, so he's been able to do a relatively stellar job there. He's got an ERA that's hovering right around a buck five ever since the beginning of the month of August, so he's been able to do a nice job there, and has actually been better on the road than he has been at home. Then again, the Blue Jays have been playing in a wide variety of places, but seven home runs given up in 68 and two-thirds innings as the, I guess you can air quotes this, road pitcher, and the big thing is, his walks per nine is right around two one as well. And then you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays and they back him up with a whole bunch of firepower. George Springer is back ever since coming off the injured list. Has been a little bit suspect, but at the same time, you've got Mark Simeon who, he might find himself in the home run chase along with Vlad Guerrero Jr. You've got Simeon and Vlad Guerrero Jr. both with between 37 and 40 home runs. Now, Vlad is hitting right around a 310-ish. He has been able to get on with a 410 on base and Simeon more around a 270 batting average along Corey Dickerson, but certainly he's getting the job done for this team. You've been able I have a whole lot of something as well out of Boba Shit along Tay Oscar Hernandez. Both of these guys are in between a 290 and 295. Both of these guys between 21 and 25 home runs. So that has been very good. And for the Blue Jays, what they really need is a little bit of better bullpen pitching. And Adam Simber had a very good ending yesterday. That is very encouraging for the team. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of someone like a Trevor Richards as well. Jordan Romano is going to be very key for this team down the stretch. Taylor Saucedo has had his ups and downs, but we've seen him have some good stretches this year. Meanwhile, for the New York Yankees, they've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to one of their main bullpen pieces in Jonathan Luizga. So that hurts them. Lucas Ludke has been able to give you some good innings. And I will say for Juan Peralta, after he wound up having a little bit of a rough start to the year, he has been much better recently. Ever since the beginning of the month of July, this is a guy that's posting up an ERA that's right around a 2-5. That is exactly what they need. We know that Aroldis Chapman has had his ups and his downs and Albert Abreu is someone that I've had high expectations for. He has just not necessarily been able to perform. Actually had a good month of August, but he is starting to regress as well. And then you take a look at this Yankees lineup and you've got a trio of guys that have been able to give you at least 26 home runs so far this year. Joey Gallo, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Sand, all these guys, at least a 354 on base. And then speaking of which, You've got all these guys between a 330 and a 345-ish on base. DJ LeMayu, Anthony Rizzo. You're able to throw in there Glaber Torres, Brett Gardner, Luke Voigt. Though I will say for Brett Gardner, along with Joey Gallo, Gary Sanchez as well, all these guys are in between about a 200 to a 215. So that is a little bit of an issue, but Giro Rochelle is back. He's hitting a 265. If Torres is able to give anything to the team as well, that is going to be very beneficial as he spent a lot of time on the injured list. But I do take a look at the spot. I do think that we are going to see once again some Garrett Cold dominance, and you just never know what to expect out of Steven Matz, but I think that he's going to be able to do a halfway decent job. I did wind up saying this still at 8.4, so going to be diving under, but if you're taking a look at the Yankees on the run line, you're finding that right around even money to a minus 105, and I was wanting to lay more like a minus 110 to a minus 115, so taking the Yankees on the run line to go along with this total under. 969, 970 is the New York Post play that is. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be in the road face-off against the Boston Red Sox. Eduardo Rodriguez going to be going for the Sox. Drew Rasmussen is going to be on the bump for the Rays. The Rays are finding themselves as very slight underdogs. Anywhere between minus 105 and plus 101. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Sox, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. 9.5 is your total over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the New York Post play today is the team that wound up erasing a six-run deficit yesterday. The Tampa Bay Rays. Drew Rasmussen has been very good ever since he has been made a starter by the Tampa Bay Rays. He has been able to do a good job of holding the ball in the yard. 
DR, giving up less than a home run per nine innings between being a starter and being a gentleman that is coming out of the bullpen. And I will say for Eduardo Rodriguez, he has been a little bit better recently, but if you take a look at him at home, a 569 ERA in 10 starts, he has given up six home runs over the course of 49 innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Opponents are at 263 off of him, but three plus runs given up in five out of his last nine home starts. Meanwhile, you take a look at Rasmussen, and he has been able to get four starts ever since really being moved to the rotation in August. One runner fewer given up in every one of them. A combined four walks and no home runs surrendered. So he has been absolutely dominant with the Tampa Bay Rays. They did wind up having to run through their bullpen a little bit, but it's worse for the Boston Red Sox because, for one, Chris Sale was unable to make it four innings for this team, which is absolutely terrible. And for two, this is a team that they're dealing with COVID-19 as well. So you've been without the services of guys like Edekazu Satomora, their great reliever in Matt Barnes, has been on the shelf as well. And you wound up having to run through guys like Garrett Richards and company yesterday. So that is not necessarily going to be great for them as we know the Tampa Bay Rays. They wound up having to use quite a few bullpen pieces as well as Ryan Yarbrough only wound up giving them two innings as well. But you've got a little bit more when it comes to depth. Got to figure that someone like an Andrew Kittredge probably going to be called upon to be able to give this team a couple innings because they have been stretching out Rasmussen. And I do think that Rasmussen is going to be able to give you five, maybe even six innings in this spot. David Hess is someone that is probably going to be providing a little bit of length and the Rays get creative, so I could see them going to someone like your Chris Archer to be able to lend length, and then you've got a guy in Wonder Franco who's got an on-base streak of, I believe it's out 38, it might be 37, but either way, it's pretty stinking impressive. He's now hitting a 290 for this team. Speaking of guys, hitting between, I would say, about a 255 to a 275, Joey Wendell, Manuel Margot, Yandy Diaz, Randy Orozarena, Nelson Cruz, all in that fold with Randy Orozarena. 19 home runs so far this year, and then you've got a quadrant of guys who have been able to give you at least 24 home runs. Austin Meadows, Nelson Cruz, Brandon Lau, who's got 33 home runs now, and Mike Zanino, so you've got a lot of power in this lineup. Then you've got a Boston Red Sox team that they've been able to do a solid job when it comes to being able to supply the boom, as well as you've got Hunter Renfro along with Kyle Schwarber, both hitting between about a 265 to 270. Both of these guys, 26 plus home runs. J.D. Martinez has gone deep 25 times. He's hitting about a 285. Rafael Devers, one of just two players in the league with at least 100 RBI so far this year. He's got north of 30 home runs. Bobby Dahlbeck has been able to find it a little bit at Alex Verdugo hitting right around 285, but you've been without Xander Bogarts for quite a while. They had to give Taylor Motter a start yesterday. Taylor Motter was so bad that he was cut from the KBO's Key Womb Heroes last year. He's hitting a buck 92 so far this year. I do recognize they tore it up at the AAA level, but still, I've got my question marks there, and I do take a look at this spot, and I think that Eduardo Rodriguez is not going to be running the length that a tire bullpen is going to be needing. I think that Drew Rasmussen is going to be continuing his dominance. So the New York Post play today is the money line in the race. Willing to lay up to about a minus 128 here. Also wind up saying the solid 9.6 because I do think that the Tiger bullpen's going to lead to some runs. So going over along with the Tampa Bay Rays as a New York Post later today. 971-972 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners hit the road face off against the Houston Astros. Jake Odorizzi is going to be going for the Strohs. Meanwhile, Logan Gilbert is going to be on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. Total's game is 8.5 to 9. On the 9, unders minus 120. The overs even. On the 8.5, overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at the Astros, anywhere between minus 165 and minus 180. Meanwhile, your plus price with Seattle is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160. And 
for Jake Odorizzi, it certainly has been a little bit of a trying year. I don't understand why they wound up, by the way, pushing Christian Javier to the bullpen and they keep starting Jake Odorizzi. That's a discussion for another day, though, but take a look at Mr. Odorizzi, and he's been able to be solid at home. 362 ERA at home, more like a 482 on the road. He has given up five home runs in 37 and a third innings, and he's had an opponent starting at 239 off of him. He's been able to keep the walks down right around 2.8-ish walks per nine innings surrendered, and then for Logan Gilbert, he was really cooking with some gas. The team at one point had won 11 straight of his starts, and then they wound up losing four or five straight in his last start against the Houston Astros, though. Five squirrels. He was able to pick himself up after giving up five plus runs and failing to complete five innings in each out of his last three starts. Uh, we need to try to identify the real Logan Gilbert. He's got a 514 ERA. He has been very equal home to road, but the only difference is he's 4 and 2 on the road and a 1 and 3 at home. He has given up five home runs in 38 and a third innings on the road, but opponents are getting a 229 off of him. And the good news for Gilbert is that he is backed up by a very good bullpen. Paul Sewell has been able to give this team some great innings all year long. You've been able to get some very good production out of someone like a even Eric Swanson who wound up not being used up yesterday. You've got your second rider who's been able to do a tremendous job and then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners lineup and it does leave a little bit of something to be desired especially when it comes to batting averages. You've got Tom Murphy Jorge Mabajoles, Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, Lewis Torrance, Kyle Seeger. list goes on and on of guys that are hitting sub-220 for the team. Dylan Moore as well, but you do have Seeger along with Mitch Anniger, both north of 30 home runs so far this year. J.P. Crawford's hitting at 265. Ty France, he's hitting at 295 as well. Doesn't quite compare to the Houston Astros, though. As for the Astros, you've got all these guys hitting at least a 274 for the team. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Car- Carlos Correa. Yoli Gurriel, Elamendiz Diaz, Jake Myers. They've been able to do an absolutely amazing job. The only guy in the starting lineup hitting below a 270 at day's end yesterday was Martin Maldonado. So that tells you where they're at. Jordan Alvarez has been able to leave the yard 28 times so far this year. You've got Jose Altuve, 25 plus bombs out of him. Carlos Correa, 20 home runs. And for the Houston Astros, bullpen has been relatively solid so far this year. They did pick up Kendall Graben, ironically enough, from the Seattle Mariners. He's been able to give them a little bit of something. You've had some good production out of Ryan Pre- as well. Blake Taylor is someone I do like, so it's a little bit of an intriguing spot in just knowing what you're going to be able to get out of Logan Gilbert. I do think that the bad Logan Gilbert shows up. I set this all at 9.5, so I'm going to be taking this total over. I was willing to lay up to a minus 164 on the money line when it came to the Astros. If you're looking at the run line, though, you're getting that anywhere between a plus 105 to a plus 110. I was willing to lay a very, very small price here, slash get anything above a plus 105. So here at plus 110, I'm going to take that run line of the Astros and I'm going to be taking this total over. 973-974 on the bang bar. The Chicago White Sox hit the road face off against the Oakland A's. James Caprillion is going to be going for the Oakland A's. Good old to be determined is going to be on the bump for the Chicago White Sox. So this is a game that is presently off the board. I know that in the past they've been using Ronaldo Lopez for starts, but I'm pretty sure that he wound up getting used up a few days ago. I wouldn't be surprised if they might wind up trotting out there Michael Kopech, but certainly it is anyone's guess. You got to figure that they're going to be taking a wholesale approach. I know that they wind up giving Jimmy Lambert a pair of starts as well. He is now up at the big league level. He's got a 9 ERA and he's going to be nothing more than an opener if they do wind up throwing him out there. But you do take a look at Caprillian and he's been darn near unhittable in Oakland so far this year. He's got a 244 home ERA, a 526 road ERA, an 
In eight home starts, has given up six home runs in 48 innings, but opponents are getting a buck 84 off of him. That balloons to a 258 on the road. On the road, has given up 11 home runs in 49 and two thirds innings as well. So very important splits there. When it comes to walks per nine, Caprillion is giving up right around 3.4 as well. So not necessarily great there, but you do take a look at this White Sox lineup. And they are a little bit banged up. Tim Anderson is right now on the shelf for this team, but they do have the league leader in RBI in Jose Abreu. Abreu, Yohan Moncada. You're able to throw in there Eloy Jimenez. All these guys are in between about a 261 to a 270 for Abreu. He has been able to do a great job of being able to supply the boom as well. 28 home runs. Wound up having 10 in the month of August. Lori Garcia. He's hitting a 255. Gavin Cheats has been able to give you a little bit when called upon as well. And then you've been able to have Luis Robert hit a 340 for this bunch. So that's pretty good. And for the Oakland A's, you've got a lot of balance power outside of Matt Olson, who's really carrying the mail for this team. North of 30 home runs. He's hitting a 275. You also wound up having Matt Chapman really bust out 24 home runs. North of 10 bombs ever since the beginning of the month of August. So he's been able to do a great job there. But then you've got a lot of guys that have between 14 and 16 home runs. Jed Lowry, Mark Canna, Seth Brown, Sean Murphy on that pole. You also did have Lerman Laureano, but he's out due to PED, so you're not going to be relying upon him. And you've also got a lot of guys with a good on-base for this team as well. Sterling Marte of the Marte Parte, Matt Olson, Tony Kemp, Mark Canna, Josh Harrison, all these guys with between a 340 and a 375 on base. So they've been able to do their job there. Then you take a look at this Oakland A's bullpen. They have fallen on some tough times with Lou Trevino. Trevino's ERA ever since the beginning of the month of August. This thing has just hiked up. I mean, this guy is a north of 10 ERA ever since then. So it has been very cataclysmic to say the least. But Sergio Romo, ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's got like two ERA. Jake Diekman, Andrew Chafin. These guys have been able to give you some good innings. Dalton Jeffries is being a little bit of a do-it-all guy as well. So I do take a look at the spot, and it is as I'm doing this, being confirmed to be Jimmy Lambert, so I'm probably going to be setting the Oakland A's right around about a minus 135 to a minus 140 favorite. This is a spot in which an 8.5 or lower, I'd be taking a look at the over, a 9 or higher, going to be taking a look at the under, so that's where I'm at there. 975, 976 on the Bangor. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing us to the Detroit Tigers. Willie Peralta is going to be going for the D-Grays. To be determined is going to be going for the Pittsburgh Pirates, so we've got no numbers up on this game. For the Pirates, they could legitimately trot out there anyone. I mean, this is an organization that I have zero faith in whatsoever. Meanwhile, you take a look at Willie Peralta. He wound up having a tremendous start to the year, which he wound up giving up like zero one runs in five out of his first six starts. Wound up having things dry up a little bit, but he's not giving up three earned runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. Hasn't necessarily been terrific at keeping the ball in the air, giving up 11 home runs at 66 innings, but he certainly has been far from awful. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road of 436 ERA compared to a 238 home ERA, so you want to take a little bit of caution there, and nine out of his 11 home runs have been given up on the road. He's given up right around 1.9-ish home runs per nine innings, but you do take a look at the Detroit Tigers team, and you do have uh, quite a few guys that are doing a good job of being reach base for you. Jameer Candelario along with Robbie Grossman. A pair of guys with between a 350 and a 360 on base with Robbie Grossman, Eric Koss, and Jonathan Scope. These guys have between 19 and 22 home runs apiece. I will say for Scope, three home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August. Uh, That's been a little bit of an issue there, but you do have a couple guys that are able to do a solid job of being able to provide a little bit of speed as well, like an Akil Badu. He's hitting a 260. You've got Mr. 502 and Miguel Cabrera wound up getting the day off yesterday, but he's been able to lend a little bit of something now. Guys like Zach Short, Willie Castro, you need a little bit more out of their bats, so it's a little bit of a miss there. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they've been able to erupt with the runs recently. You do have to give them some credit as they have now scored at least five runs in each out of their last five games. No, four of those games wound up coming against the Chicago 
Cubs in a win blowing out Wrigley Field. So I take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But Yoshi Satsugo, seven home runs in about three weeks with the Pittsburgh Pirates. That is pretty darn impressive. You've got Cabrian A's. You're able to throw in there Ben Gamble and Jacob Sollings in between a 243 to a 253. Brian Reynolds, he's been able to supply this team with 22 home runs. He's hitting about a 300. So that has been very solid. Anthony Alford is hitting below the Mendoza line, though, along with Cole Tucker, Michael Perez. So you've got a couple guys that are scuffling there. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they did wind up using up a couple of their trustworthy bullpen pieces. Jason Shreve, Chris Stratton, David Bernard all wound up coming out. So got to figure that guys like Kyle Keller are going to be used. Maybe you wind up throwing a start to someone like a Chad Cool because he's been used out of the bullpen recently. Mitch Keller is probably going to be unable to come through in this one, but you just take a look at the spot, and I think that's going to be very fascinating because with the Tigers, I do think that Willie Peralta is probably going to wind up being a little bit of a favorite in this spot. All depends on what we wind up getting from the Pittsburgh Pirates, so especially with the fact that they did wind up using a bunch of trustworthy starters, and I do see on the roster Shelby Miller for the Pittsburgh Pirates. If he winds up going, the Tigers are going to be a very sizable favorite. This is probably going to be a spot in which I'm going to be taking it over on an 8.5 or lower and a 9 or higher to the under, but check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jarrett's 41 as we just don't know what the Pirates are going to do. 977-978 on the bang board. The Texas Rangers hit the red face-off, gets the yards and the Diamondbacks. Zach Allen is going to be going for the D-backs. Spencer Howard is on the bump for the Rangers. Enough is your total. Over and under anywhere between minus 105, minus 115 with the Diamondbacks. It's anywhere between minus 154, minus 160 plus price with the Texas Rangers. It's anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145. I was mentioning it with our good buddy William Moore, the fact that Spencer Howard for like two or three innings always gives you a little bit of something, and then he falls off a cliff. Second time facing off against guys, he's got a north of a 400 opponents batting average. It is just not good to say the least overall this year for Spencer Howard. A 9.82 ERA with the Texas Rangers. He's giving up while with the Rangers right around two and a half home runs per nine innings. So the acquisition has not went well. Overall for the year, a 6.30 ERA for his career. So yeah, it's not necessarily going great. Meanwhile for Zach Allen, yeah, it's not necessarily going great, especially at home. A 5.57 home ERA, 0-6 record. In nine starts, he's given up nine home runs and 43 in the third innings. But I will say, he still does have some tremendous stuff. You take a look at what Gallon has done recently. He's been able to put it together a little bit more. Let's give it up a combined three earned runs in his last three starts, and he's going up against the Texas Rangers, who are averaging the fewest runs per game ever since the All-Star break at right around 3.4, 3.5-ish. You do have a couple guys here busting out. Yoni Hernandez is hitting right around 280 for the team. Nate Lowe, Isaiah Kinnair, Falefa are both hitting between a 262 to a 265, along with Yoel You've got Adolis Garcia. He's been able to go deep 29 times for the team. He's hitting right around 245, but Jose Trevino's hitting about a 230. You've got DJ Turnit up Peters, who has eight home runs in the last, I I would say 30 or so days for the team, but he's only in right around 210. Jason Martin sitting below the middle sign of 200. And then you take a look at the Texas Rangers bullpen, and really, both of these bullpens aren't great with the Rangers. They're actually not absolutely terrible. Spencer Penn is able to give you a little bit of something. His ERA is hovering right around a 386, so it's starting to climb, but you have been able to get a little bit of something recently out of Joe Barlow, a sub-2 ERA. Nick Sinder is someone that they're looking to for innings along to Marcus Evans. And then you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, and they're using guys like a Taylor Clark, Jake Feria, guys that were starters at the beginning of the year out of the bullpen, and it is just clearly not working for them. And what else is not working is the fact that you've got nobody on the scene with north of 12 home runs this year. That is absolutely terrible. I will say, you tell Marte of the Marte Parte, he is hitting a 335, so that is something that you're able to rely upon. Paven Smith, Josh Rojas, both hitting between a 265 to a 275. You've got Dalton Varsho, Al Andrew Young, 
Christian Walker, all guys hitting between about a 225 to 235. You need a little bit more out of Josh Van Meter, but David Peralta also hitting a 265. So a little bit of an interesting spot because I don't know if I necessarily have a lot of faith in Taylor Clark and company, but at the same time, I have absolutely zero faith whatsoever in Spencer Hour being able to give you more than I would say two good innings. So I said this all at 9.3. I'm going to be going over despite these bad offenses. If you're looking at the run line of the Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm seeing a plus 130. I'm even seeing a couple plus 135. So I'm going to take the run line of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm going to bank on Zach Gallon, give it a good start here, and I'm going to be taking this total over. And we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the bank board. The Slime Diego Padres play LCLA Angels. One of the most interesting names you're ever going to find. Packy Naughton is going to be going for the Angels. Blake Snell is on the bump for the Padres. No numbers anywhere except for DraftKings, and I sure hope this is a typo. The Padres are minus 335 favorites, and the Angels are plus 260. Tolan's game is 7.5. Over is minus 125, and the under is plus 105. I do recognize that Blake Snell is a little bit better at home than he is on the road, and Packy Naughton is Packy Naughton, but if you're giving me a plus 260, I certainly will take that with the LA Angels, as I'd probably be setting this more like a 225-ish. Packy Naughton wound up getting announced as a starter as I started up this podcast, so there is that aspect of it. You take a look at Mr. Naughton, it's not like he's necessarily been too great for this team. He's made a couple relief appearances. He wound up making a start against the New York Yankees, gave up three runs in three and two-thirds innings against the Yankees. Yankees, but and he's got a 4 ERA. You take a look at what he's able to do at the minor league level. It will give you some good swings and misses. It's someone that is not going to walk guys very cheaply as well. He has given up throughout his MLB career right around like 5 walks per 9 innings, but it's because he's pitched 9 innings, so there is that. And then you take a look at Blake Snell, and he has been very good at San Diego. He hasn't been good elsewhere. 6.18 road ERA. And a 249 home ERA at home, he has been able to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Six home runs, give it up in 61 and a third innings. Ten bombs, give it up in 59 and two thirds innings away from him. And the big thing is the walks as well. He is still giving up right in the neighborhood about 3.7, 3.8-ish walks per nine innings at home. But on the road, that balloons to right around seven. And opponents are getting a 274 off of him on the road. Buck 69 at home. This is a Padres bullpen that they were able to get a day off yesterday. And boy, did they need it as these guys have been used and used heavily there. They are leading the National League with regards to bullpens innings overall. To Nelson Lamette is going to give this team a little bit of reinforcement. He is now going to be used as a reliever. Emilio Pagan, he has been taking a gun recently, but Craig Salmon has been able to give you some good innings. You've right now got the league leader in saves and Mark Melanson doing a good job. Austin Adams has been able to hold up at the point of attack. Even a guy like Nabil Krismet has been able to do a solid job. And for the Angels, Rossi Iglesias has been tremendous as a closer, but you don't have much outside of that. Steve Ciszek has been able to give you some good innings. They're looking at guys like Oliver Ortega, Elvis Beguero, along with Jose Quijada to be able to give them some innings. Kyle Taylor is someone that has been able to give this team some long relief. And Andrew Wants has actually given you a little bit of what you want, for lack of a better term. But you did take a look at this LA Angels team, and Shoy Otani has been hitting a little bit of a rut. 43 home runs is the most in baseball, but ever since July 28th, so over the last, I would say, 37 games, he's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, and he's got seven home runs in that time span. So certainly has been a little bit of a struggle there. David Fletcher in the month of August. Hit right around 235 for this bunch. Now, Joey Dell has been able to kick his batting average up to about a 245. That's what you like to see. Max Assey, Jared Walsh, both in between about a 262 to 270, but he have been having some struggles with the Angels in the American League. They have had the fewest home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August as well, so you do have a little bit of something there. This is a spot in which I'm probably going to be setting the Padres 
as somewhere in the neighbor of about a minus 230-ish favorite and thinking about it, maybe more like a minus 235. So need at least a plus 235 to be able to take a shot here on the Angels. And with the total, this is a spot in which I'd probably be setting an eight or lower to the over, eight and a half or higher to the under. But check back in the morning, my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 as Naughton was just announced as the starter for the Angels. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Tuesday. A big thanks to William Bohr of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, one of two ways we all fire this in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters DM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comment section of that five star review. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.